0: The strangest secret for people that are watching this is that we become what we think about most. We become what we think about most. And so where we direct our energy, where we allow our thoughts to go, that all affects who we become. That's why people, places, and things, the people you hang out with, the places you go, and the things you choose to focus on define who you become.
1: Today, we have a very special guest, Glenn Garns, who is the founder of Small Business CEO, which is an organization devoted to helping small business owners achieve more. So they offer online courses, uh, mentorship. Uh, He does a podcast as well. Glenn had a very interesting past. So he grew up uh, in the law practice. So he had been in law for quite a while. Uh, and he said himself, he, his bank account was full, but his heart was empty. And he made a, a, a special leap because he had developed relationships with, with his clients through his law practice and learned a lot about thought leadership. And that's kind of what allowed him to transition out and start his own business where he offered online courses, speaking. And it kind of evolved into what small business CEO is today. And he had a lot of great information to share. Uh, this was an interview that we did over the phone. We we haven't met Clint in person before, but I'd spoken with him on the phone. And then we did uh, a Skype or whatever. Zoom, Tim. Yeah, get Zoom, it right. Zoom, Zoom TV. So this was a really good interview. Slager, what, what did you get out of this?
2: Uh, yeah, so it was cool. Um, I mean, you know me. I like kind of going in not meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of times just because it it adds to the broadness of it. And this is one we were both kind of going in raw. I know you talked to him over the phone, but uh, he was a super interesting guy, like super intriguing to talk to. He was just very captivating with the storytelling and and insights that he had and experiences along the way. And one of the biggest uh, things that we hit on was networking. And I know we talk a lot about networking here and people are probably listening to this thinking, I go to networking events, they're just, they're the worst. I agree. And so what Glenn talked about was when you go to something like that or or similar, whether it's casual, more formal, is go there to network to connect other people to each other. Don't worry about connecting yourself to that person. That will happen automatically if you are there to genuinely help them without asking for anything in return. Mm -hmm. So he gave a good example. He was at one before where... He met one person, found out what they were doing. He went and talked to someone else, found out what they did. And they were each looking for someone that did what the other person was yeah. doing. Brilliant. And so what he did, he said, hey, come with me over here. He took say, so he took Jim over here. He met John. Jim and John now have business together because of Glenn. Mm-hmm. Focus on doing that, and you will be the most memorable person in that room. Yeah. And so that was a, a big takeaway where I was like, man, that's... That's big because you have to be genuinely interested in wanting to do that. Otherwise, it won't happen at all. Uh, But that will create a a, a face and name for you in that room for everyone else for a long time. So that was probably the biggest thing that that I took away from that one. And I know we spent some time on that. uh, But he had a lot of good insights, a lot of good wisdom. And I I think this is a pretty valuable episode here. So uh, without further ado, here we are sitting down with Glenn Garnes. So we appreciate you uh, taking time for us today, man.
0: My pleasure. I appreciate you having me because I, I love doing this. I it, it's it's probably one of the most uh, enjoyable aspects of my business is being able to to have in conversations around ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So do you want to just? I, I guess we're. I mean, we're recording now, obviously. Uh, do you want to just go into uh, how you found the path that you're on now? Explain, explain maybe your transition out of law. It's how you got into law in
2: the first place. And then you're kind of... All right, so let,
0: me, let me first ask you, how much time do we have? Because I could talk about this for days.
2: <laughs> we got our next one's at six. We got yeah. two hours. Uh, we're not going to spend two hours. <laughs> right, yeah, so, so anything so, so. you want to say also goes. So you can say any whatever you want on here.
0: Yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> the first thing case. I'm going to tell you is that I started life out, like most people do, wanting to make their parents proud and doing anything you could to do that. And so I ended up going into the practice of law largely because I wanted to be the first lawyer in the family and give my parents bragging rights. And yeah, I I made the mistake of thinking that if my parents were proud and I was good at what I did, that I would enjoy it. And the fact is, I didn't. (laughs) <laughs> I won't say I hated it because I did enjoy it for a little while, but I got very, very bored very, very early and probably stayed in the law practice longer than I should have only because I didn't know what else I could do that anyone would, that would matter to anyone. But I, I started getting restless enough, if you will, to want to explore other things. And at the time that I closed my law practice, this was back in 2004, I actually started the process in about 2002 but it took that long to finish up what I was working on to the point where I could transition clients that I didn't, that I still needed work on to other attorneys. To make a long story short, after I decided to close the practice of law, the only other thing that I knew how to do that anybody cared about was how to generate business. I was, I was, a, I was a good rainmaker in my law practices and, and everywhere I went that, um, that I was you know practicing law but bringing in clients. That was part of my responsibility. And so I decided I was going to take time to think about what had I done that allowed me to be successful in attracting clients. And I reduced that down to a course called Referral University. And that became my first information product. It was three CDs and a workbook, because back in 2004, there was no live streaming, there was no Facebook, there was no, I mean Facebook had just gotten started for Pete's sake, there was no live streaming, Facebook live or anything like that. So people were still selling digital information products largely online, by having, you know, something on their website. And then you ship, you still ended up shipping the product. Make a long story short, that product ended up being very successful. I started teaching free workshops, 10 mistakes we make at networking events and how to avoid them as a way to introduce referral university for people to purchase. And that course, it was a $500 investment. And the beautiful thing about it was that I would go out to Chambers of Commerce and other business organizations, they had already put all the audience together. All I had to do was speak and then introduce the opportunity for people to acquire the course if they were interested. And it was, for me, it was a major success. I mean, I, I virtually replaced the income that I made from my law firm in a small fraction of the time and less effort than I want to even mention, That's awesome. you know, compared to practicing law. Mm-hmm. So, So that was my first awakening to the power of information products. And I started to realize that, I'm very limited in the subject matter that I know. I'm not trying to be all things to all people, nor would that be an effective way to operate operate a business. But I did see an opportunity to do two things. Number one, I wanted to create a business organization, and we did this called Small Business CEO, that unified or united small business owners around ideas, giving people an opportunity to build relationships with each other, share information and resources, be support to each other, so that we wouldn't be isolated in business. That's what small business CEO is today. The second thing that I did was I wanted to create a network of other experts, other subject matter experts so that where I was weak in subject matter, we had my counterpart in something else. I'm not a health and wellness expert. So we got a lot of health and wellness experts that are part of experts on stage, which is the organization for our speakers and coaching professionals. I'm not an expert in personal development generally, so we have leadership experts, all kinds of people. But what I did was I created a platform that allowed me to do for other people, other experts, other, so, uh, other uh, subject matter experts, what I had done for myself in the business networking, business relationship genre, which was to attract eyeballs, attract people who had an interest in that topic and connect them to the information I had for them and to do it in a professional way. So that's how I made the transition. I got bored. I got tired you know, back when I was practicing law, my bank account was full, but my heart was empty because I felt like I was being stifled by the rather sterile environment that the practice of law creates around you. There's not a lot of creativity happening in most law offices <laughs> beyond beyond what we do in the courtroom, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so with that in mind, being restless, being open to uh, taking chances, taking risks, being willing to incur the wrath of my parents all led me to, to the transition that I've made today and I highly recommend it for anybody. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: what, what made Referral University successful at the onset? Was it, what, what do you think, was the way you communicated it, the way you spoke, just the, just the quality of the product, what do you think it was?
0: I think it was a variety of things. I think first and foremost, it was the fact that I was teaching a free workshop, which gave people some ideas, kind of planted seeds with them about the value they would get out of the full referral university program, which went which went well beyond the 10 mistakes we make at networking events and how to avoid them. Mm-hmm. So I think that teaching that free workshop, it built credibility in the minds of people who were thinking about purchasing the workshop. When you build credibility with people, you you deliver value. That was, that was what the free workshop was about. Mm -hmm. It builds credibility. Credibility leads to trust and trust leads to influence. So by the time I was done teaching that workshop, most people felt like, wow, that's the guy I want to learn from, or I want to find out what's in the course. If this was the free stuff, I want to see what else he knows. Mm -hmm. And so that led them to take a, to take a chance on the $500 investment to acquire referral university. And I didn't disappoint them with what we delivered there. I mean, we, we, we really had some high high value information that shortened people's learning curves by years and years and years because most of what I taught in that course, it was things that I had done over a period of over 10, 15 years in my law practice, you know, trial and error, trying different things, not even realizing that what I was doing was working. I, when I created the course, I really had to sit down and say, what did I do on a daily basis for the past 15 years? that resulted in all this business coming to me. And as I reflected on that, I was like, wow, if I could put all that down into a course, I could shorten people's learning curves on all of this stuff by about 15 or 20 years. And that's exactly what we did in the course. And people, they were like, wow, I, it would have taken me eons to learn. I never would have thought of this, or wow, I didn't even think of that you know, being a value. Sure. So I, I think that the free stuff on the front end that deliver real value, coupled with not disappointing them in the course is what made it successful. Mm -hmm. We started getting more people buying the course because other people had acquired it than we did by having them come out to the events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in other words, people were referring people to buy it without their even attending the uh, free workshop.
2: That's That's awesome. awesome. Just like the, I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it is. Um, And it was just that little extra effort, like that just little bit. It reminds me of, so we talk about what we're reading all the time. And there's this book, The Slide Edge. I don't know if you're familiar. Of with course, it, of course. Easy to do, easy to not do. And that was one thing that you're like, ah, a lot of people aren't going to do this. Let me try it. And it, and it worked. So
0: and so and cool that that's a, for free that's,
2: to do the little extras.
0: Exactly. And that's the difference between knowing and doing. You know, there's a lot of people that know what to do, but they're not doing it, right. you know. Common sense is not common practice, and that's where the opportunity is. And, and Jeff Olson, I actually met Jeff Olson, believe it or not, in, when, I was, I, I actually, when I was transitioning out of the practice of law. Prepaid legal was a big thing back then, and I actually got into prepaid legal mostly as a way to give my clients access to, to lawyers that would be able to answer their legal questions, you know, since I wasn't going to be around to do it anymore. And uh, so I met Jeff, you know, he was, he was big time with prepaid legal at the time. And, um and, and you're right. His book is just absolutely awesome. And, and it applies to virtually anything in life, not just to network marketing or yeah. MLM. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, that's
2: cool.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that book. It's a good one. Uh, yeah. As popular as it is, a lot of people don't know about it.
2: Right. I need to read it again soon, I think.
0: Yeah. 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 You'd be surprised the second, third and fourth read how much more you get out of it not only because you pick up on things you missed the first time, but mm-hmm. your your body of experience in life, what you've done since you last read it, also changes the way you receive that information. Mm. I spend more time going back and reading books that I've already read than I do buying new books sometimes.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. Interesting. I like that, though.
1: Yeah, I have a, a Microsoft OneNote. Program that I literally have all the notes from all the books I've ever read, and I literally will just go back and reread the notes because wow. you can read a book once, but you're gonna forget more and more if you never look at it again. Exactly. That's the way you gotta cycle the material through your brain periodically to really. So, so
0: you know, you know, you have a very robust information product there in that OneNote thing because yes. we, we've talked
2: about it. Because I'm a note taker too when I read, so we'll takes half as long to get through a book, but we've, we've thought about doing something with that too.
0: I mean, I remember, I I think back to law school and also in, in, I I guess it was college and law school where they had the little um, publications that were like summaries of all the things that, you know, cliff notes and monarch notes and all that kind of stuff, you know, so, hey, there's a, there's an industry out there for that. So don't, don't lose sight of that.
1: (laughs) And yeah, I, going back to what you said about credibility too, and the fact that you took like 15 years of experience like what you actually learned in the law practice that adds to your credibility cuz you had actually walked those steps and gone through that's it that's right and i wanted to ask you talked about so the the free value that you gave at those those conferences the, the things to avoid at networking events can you name like a few right now or any any that you can share like off the top of your head right now
0: well i have to send you a bill afterwards but yeah i'll share them
1: <laughs> yeah so so a lot of
0: times people, people go to networking, and this is probably the big one, of, of, of the 10 things, and, and frankly, it's been probably 10 years since I've really thought about them in the context of the order I taught them in, but of the 10 things, one of the most important things is people go to networking events for the wrong reasons. They go to promote themselves rather than to find a way to be of service to others. And what I mean by that is, think about it, everyone in the room is handing their business cards out, trying to do their elevator pitch or their, what they call it, their 30 second infomercial and everyone's talking, but no one's listening. So you're in a room full of people. The only thing they're waiting for you to do is to stop talking so they can. So what I did was I shifted my polarity to be a better listener. And so I would sit and listen to people's 30 second elevator speeches or whatever, you, you know, infomercials, whatever they decided to call it. And I would use that opportunity to listen to what they were looking for and then try to find a match for someone else in the room that they'd be a good fit for. Mm. And I used to, you you all, you're younger than I am obviously. So you might not remember the card game concentration. Did you ever play that? You take a deck of cards and you place them all face down. Concentration was about turning over a Jack and trying to find another Jack, Mm. make a match. And the person that ends up with the most cards at the end of the, uh, at the end of the game is the winner. So your goal was to find matches. So I used to play that at networking events. I used to go to a network event and I would talk to, you know, one of you and I would find out what are you looking for? Who are you looking to get connected to? What what kinds of people are a good fit for you in your business? Who's your ideal client, et cetera, et cetera. I would spend all the time focused on them because I knew that as long as I had their business card, if I wanted to follow up with them, I'll talk to them the next day or the day after that. I didn't have to try to pitch myself to them on the front end. So I would listen intently to what they were talking about and what they were interested in. And then as I'm circulating throughout the rest of the room, I'm looking for a match because I get to take both of them off the, off the deck. (laughs) I mean, off the, off the, you know, off the playing field, so to speak, and they're mine. Now I've made two people happy because I listened and I connected them, you know? And if you, if you can reverse your polarity in that fashion and delay the immediate gratification need that most of the experience or got to make a sale, got to make a sale, you can make stronger relationships and stronger bonds because you become more memorable to the people. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I have heard people comment about, wow, you know, I've never seen anyone, you know, do that before. You know, where I just literally take someone, you know, that I'm talking to, hey, let me introduce this guy over here. You say you are looking for a real estate agent. Let me introduce you a real estate friend of mine. He's over there. Let's go over and talk to him right now. And that's what, that's what I did all night long. And so you actually are adding value to that event because people around you are getting more out of it, but they remember you more than they remember the host of the event.
2: Sure.
0: So that's just one simple thing. It's common sense. It comes from Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Take a sincere interest in others before you expect them to take an interest in you. So I just found my own unique way to implement that particular principle, which I didn't come up with that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Dale Carnegie didn't come up with it. It was something he learned from somebody else. The point is I found my own unique spin on how to implement it.
1: Yeah, show sure that you were genuinely interested in what they were talking about. Yeah, like you said yeah, and yeah. you actually want what's best for their business. You don't want exactly what's best for your business.
0: Exactly, and in the process, I made two new friends. Mm-hmm. The person that I introduced to the other, so now they're both they're both uh, very tied to me.
2: That's awesome. So
0: yeah. So that's just one, you know. So you can see if I had nine more of those, people are like, wow, I want to con- you know, they had some good notes, probably. Are yeah, you, have like
2: you yeah. I'll be ready to buy the course now? <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you
0: a link in a minute. <laughs> it's interesting because the course does not technically exist anymore. Mm. I'm actually in the process right now of taking that same content and updating it. And this is another thing. I'm updating it to take into consideration today's technologies. A lot of things have changed since 2004 when I first created that course. Like I said, there was no live streaming. LinkedIn was still kind of more like an employment website like monster.com more than it is a business network. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that have evolved since I created that content. I need to go back and reconsider it in light of these changes. So I'm redoing the course, but instead of three CDs and a workbook, I now will have that as an online course that people can log into our learning center at abundancesociety.com and be able to get access to in there. So, so I'm bringing, I'm making what's old new by updating it and and making it relevant for today. You know,
2: it's a genius idea. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah if it's a little dated, It's like, oh, what do I do here? I can't do that.
0: Right. So, or there are better ways to do it today than sure. there were back then.
2: Sure. Yeah. Efficiency. efficiency. I'm not exactly. I'm kind of weird about efficiency. My last job, like they wouldn't listen to anything that would go fast. So I'm like, ah, this is I'm out. <laughs>
0: Time to get out of there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, great book too. So uh, glad you dropped that one. How to Win Friends Influence People. I've read that yeah. a few times. I
0: mean, that's like the, that's like the, you know, what is it? The, the, gra- the granddaddy of them all when it comes to business
2: relationships. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And yeah, building off that, the, the technology aspect of today's society and networking, what do you think, I want to get your opinion. What do you think is the best or the biggest opportunity out there? The best thing to be on? Because in my opinion, I think LinkedIn is, is one of the better things to go out and connect with people. What are some, of, like, what would you say is the best way to get in touch with people in today's digital society?
0: So the answer to that, from my perspective, is it depends on who you're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. If you are trying to reach a millennial community and you want, and you're not necessarily looking for business professionals per se, Instagram might be a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Facebook used to be that, you know, all, all the millennials left Facebook because their parents followed them and they wanted to get <laughs> you know, wanted to get away from them. And I totally get that. I'm a That's baby fair. boomer, so I understand why my kids wouldn't friend me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't even friend you? Come on, man. No, I, my, 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 my middle son, I had to beg him to let me connect tough, tough crowd, he said, I'll, I'll let you connect to Facebook because so I'm never on there. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so So I think the first answer to the question is, there is no better, there is no, the best place to be is where your ideal client is or where the people you're looking to get connected to are. Mm -hmm. Now that might be multiple communities. It might be Instagram. It might be LinkedIn. It might be Facebook. It might be YouTube. It might be any number of places, but you have to first think about who am I trying to reach? And then that determines where the best place to go is to reach them. And it might be multiple places. Like I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So I met you guys but I also spend a lot of time on Facebook because there's a community of people there that I'm looking to tap into. I have a pretty strong presence on Instagram, but I frankly have not been as active in there as I, as I once was. But I'm about to reinitiate that because we've got some new programs and some new uh, offerings that make Instagram relevant again for us. So you first have to take a look at who is it you're trying to reach. And then the next thing is, does that platform support content that allows me to put my message out there in the best way possible? See, even though Instagram is a great place to meet millennials, you're very limited in terms of the the way that you can put content out there. There's no article content. So if you like writing articles, that's not going to happen. Videos have to be very short. And for the most part, you're talking about, you know, little, you know, images and and memes as the vehicle by which you're delivering content. So if any of that limits your ability to deliver your message the way you want, you might want to look for millennials on LinkedIn where you have more options, more flexibility in terms of how you engage and, and share content. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. So wow. it's really just a matter of deciding what's important to you and then picking the, you know, picking the best vehicle, the best community by which to reach the people you're seeking to reach.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess zeroing in on LinkedIn, what's, what's the best way to provide value and connect with people on LinkedIn, like best practices? Like, is it just a, cause I know with, with, cause in my sales job, I use it a lot. And I use it to connect with people I'm trying to get in touch with. But at the same time, I don't want to just connect with someone I've never met before, blow them up with a message. Are there any what, like best practices that you can do to really build a relationship with people on LinkedIn?
0: Yeah. So let's start with the initial connection that you make. Mm-hmm. A lot of people on LinkedIn make the mistake of connecting and not telling anybody why they chose to connect to them. So one of the things I do when someone just sends me an unsolicited connection, like I, I told you all exactly why I was reaching out to you. So there was no yeah. mystery to it. Yeah. But what I, what, what I see often happen is people will connect to me. I have no idea where they came from or what they saw about me that was of interest. So I send them back a message saying, thank you for connecting with me on LinkedIn. Was there something specific about my profile that caught your eye? Please let me know how you found me and how I can help you. Now, The reverse of that is also true. If I'm reaching out to someone on LinkedIn, I tell them exactly why, what I saw in their profile that I thought was interesting, and I tell them what what the purpose for connecting would be. So now if they choose to connect, I know that they're at least tacitly interested in what I shared with them. So be specific when you reach out to people about why you're connecting. The second thing is that most people connect with the intention to sell rather than the intention to get to know. So find a way, just like we talked about, take a sincere interest in others before you take an in, before you expect them to take an interest in you. So I would say, you know, listen, I see you have a podcast or I see you are a business coach or I see you're whatever. I'd like to get to know you a little bit better so I can see who would be a good source or who would be a good referral for you. That was one of the principles I taught in the, um, in the referral university program is, you know, take the pressure off of someone by having them understand you're not looking to make a sale to them today. So I'm not, you know, I'm looking to connect with you because I think I may be a good source of referrals for you. Many of my clients are looking for what you do and I'd like to get to know you to see if you'd be a good person for me to make referrals to.
2: That's great. Definitely guilty of the unsolicited. (laughs) Uh, Oh, we froze.
0: So you're just reversing, you're reversing the order in which you do things. You'll get an opportunity to discuss collaboration and being able to refer- make uh, reciprocal referrals. But you start off by telling that person that if you like what you see and hear about what they do, you'd like to be a referral source for them before you ask them to do that for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know,
2: Good practice. I can get into unsolicited uh, connections.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's the point is that when you reach out to people, you have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. You mm-hmm. have to be transparent I get reser- I get ref- I get connection requests all day long and the first thing people ask me is do you need what I do mm-hmm. you know and th- that's disappointing in a lot of ways especially since they didn't tell me up front that that was their purpose if they put in that little you know add your note to the, the initial connection say listen you know I'm a web I'm a website developer and I'm looking to connect with people who might need my services you know would you be willing to accept my connection and do you need I would at least respect them for being open and, and transparent with me about why they're seeking to connect rather than baiting and switch me and tell me, Hey, look, I see you're a do this and this. And yes, I'd really like to get no more, no, get to know more about your business when they really want is they really want to get my business, you know? So mm-hmm. just tell me that don't, don't play the head games because you just destroyed your credibility before we built, you just, you just burned the bridge before you built it.
2: Sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to go back a little bit, uh, when you talked about transitioning out from the law practice, uh, uh, you kind of half-jokingly said "And you fought the wrath of your parents, too. Uh, wh- was there any pushback from that? Uh, how did that transition look in terms of, you know, personally uh, of, of doing that?
0: Well, let me put it this way. My parents love me dearly, mm-hmm. and they, of course, are of the opinion that they know what's best for me at all times, regardless of what I want. <laughs> so my parents sometimes are not good listeners, because if they were, they'd be supportive of what I want rather than what they think I should have. Now, they didn't come out and like, you know, have a knockdown drag out with me, but I could just tell by the shift in energy, if you will, when I told them I wanted to leave my, I told them I was leaving my law practice to go do something else. It was terrifying to them because they grew up during an era where you took one job, worked for 35, 40 years and retired, you know? I mean, that's literally my father's story. Worked for Xerox for 35 years, got the ring and the retirement party and all that other stuff. And he can't understand why someone would ever leave their employer because that's not the realm that he grew up in. Sure. Bottom line is that what worked for him didn't necessarily work for me 40 years later. Not, only, not to mention that I didn't want to work for somebody else. I wanted to have my own business. So the point is that there was, some, there was subliminal pushback. You could tell by the kinds of questions they asked. When I, when I had a struggle in my business, instead of saying, I told you so, he was basically saying, well, had you thought about maybe getting a job and going back to work? to dad, I didn't call you for advice on how to get a job. I called you to see if I could have a heart to heart with you about how to make what I want to do work. Mm-hmm. You see, but not being supportive of that at the level that he was supportive of me having a job or being in my law practice was the pushback. Got so, you know, again, you, you can't fault your parents for that. I mean, they're trying to do the best they can to give you the best advice they can, but you have to consider, would you go to your dad or your mom for heart surgery? so they can only give you advice on what they have experience with. So don't expect them to understand entrepreneurship if they've never owned a business. Don't expect them to understand taking risks if they've always played it safe. You know, you're putting unrealistic expectations on them the same way they're trying to put them on you. So don't put the expectations on them to do stuff they're not able to do and don't allow them to put them on you either. You can still love each other without necessarily following every advice, every piece of advice that's given.
2: It's so interesting you said exactly that too of you put too much of an expectation that they can't deliver. It's, it's unrealistic because uh, I'm reading about certain expectations you hold people to, to where it's like, they have no idea that they're trying to fill this standard that you made in your head and they have no idea about. it.
0: Exactly. And see, one of the other things you got to think about is that your parents cannot be the source of all of your happiness, mm-hmm. no matter how much they love you they don't have experience with everything you need to know or you need to have access to. So, you know, my father, if, you know, through thinking back, if he had really wanted to help me with decisions I needed to make about being in business for myself, he would have said, look, I have no experience with that, but let me connect you with a friend of mine that owns his own business. You talk to him. He's the one that knows about this stuff, you know, but instead he tried to push me. He, he tried to steer me in the direction of what was comfortable for him. Sure. And I don't blame him for that. It's just that I had to wake up and realize my father cannot be helpful to me in connection with this particular subject. Let me not expect that from him, but let me also let him know that I'm not going to look to him for his advice on this because I know that this isn't his, this isn't his thing. It's, it's out of his pay grade, so to speak.
2: Yeah. yeah. Never thought of it that way either to where it's like, go with what they know. Yeah. Leave it at that.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, And follow people who have been through themselves and walked in those shoes and can serve as a mentor in that regard. Because it is tough to mentor someone when you haven't actually failed at that thing or struggled at that thing before to relate to the person you're struggling with it right now. So
0: most of my experience that is a value for me to pass on to others was gained by doing it wrong. Mm. The battle scars provide better lessons than the victories. And a lot of people don't realize it. That's why That's why mentorship is so important. It's because a mentor who has already traveled the road that you're about to travel, first of all, they can tell you the direction to go and they can show you where all the potholes are so that you can avoid those along the way. So the bottom line is that I'd rather talk with someone that's failed than someone that's experienced extreme success all the time. Because the ones that have experienced extreme success, if they are out there, they've never faced adversity. But the truth is there's nobody that's never failed. Mm -hmm. Someone, there's always some obstacle, some challenge, some adversity that comes up in life, whether it's in employment or through business or otherwise. So virtually everyone that's got experience with anything has gained at least part of that experience by doing it wrong or by
1: failing
2: at it. Mm -hmm.
1: So let me ask you this. When you, when you were first transitioning out of the law practice, what type of partnerships did you strike up when you're going out? Was there anybody that served as a good mentor for you, a good guide? anybody that you places your trust in like relationship wise.
0: Yeah. So, so early, so you, it's interesting. You should say partnerships because I actually wrote a book called let's not be partners. <laughs> it was all about bad partnerships. It was really, it was really about how to pick the right people to go into business with for the right reasons. Mm. So I, I love that you mentioned though, partnership in the connection with mentors because that's exactly what mentors can be. They're your partner in success. It's that they're giving you guidance. They're almost like on your board of directors when you allow them, when you structure the relationship that way. So early on, I had a very limited number of people that I was willing to take advice on, uh, take advice from, because I thought like most egotistical lawyers, that I had all the answers, knew I you was know, being successful. I thought I was creating all the success. And frankly, I would have been a lot more um, open to having mentors earlier on in my law career if I had failed a little bit more in the beginning make a long story short, I, I did have a few, I actually had clients. I was very fortunate to have clients that came to me for law advice that were giving me great business advice. And they were very successful and there have been multimillionaires in their businesses were coming to me because I was effective. I was good at what I did as a lawyer, mm-hmm. but I also was very young and inexperienced with business. And there's a difference between practicing law and being in business for yourself. I have much greater respect for entrepreneurs than I ever will for lawyers. And the main reason is that there's so much more risk. There's so much more decision-making. There's so much more thought that goes into creative thought and critical thinking that goes into building a business, scaling a business, expanding, seeing opportunities than there ever does going into the law. For me, at least being in the practice of law. That's why as I became more experienced with business, saw all my clients being excited about their businesses, I was drawn more to entrepreneurship than I ever would have been to the practice of law. So some of my first mentors were business owners who I was learning from their, from learning business from them while I was representing them
2: in connection with their businesses.
1: That makes sense. That's good.
2: Yep. So um, with, with, as far as searching for mentors, those were, happened to be people that you were kind of exchanging business with. If someone's like, man, i You know, I I need to get a mentor, like I don't have one. How would you recommend or what would you look for? How would you seek those people out to be like, okay, I need to talk to this person. They might be what I need.
0: So as you are going to business networking events, that's another reason to listen to people more than you talk. When you go to a business mixer or something like that talk with some of the people who you know are more experienced in business, have been around the block a little bit. If you don't know who those people are in the room, one of the most powerful things you can do if you're going to go to a business networking event, a business mixer, is to contact the person who's organizing the event. The chances are that they know a lot of the people who will be attending the event. They're a center of influence and they can shorten your ability to get quality connections. If you, if I, if I go to an event tonight, for example, I'm going to call two days, three days in advance and say to the person that's organized the event, hey, look, my name is Glenn Garns. I'm a small business CEO. I'd like to attend your event, but I was wondering if you could answer a few questions for me. What kinds of professionals typically attend your event? Or I'm specifically looking to connect with this type of person. Are those the kinds of people that, can, that attend your event? And would you be willing to introduce me to them when I, when I get there? So now I've taken a sincere interest in their event by edifying them over the fact that they're hosting the event and I'm relying on them and their expertise and who they should connect me with. Mm. So that's a great way to shorten your learning curve on who's in the room. If you're in the room with a hundred people, you can't meet all of them to try to find the one person you wanted to connect with. Sure. You know, so th- that, that's first and foremost. So then once you get introduced to someone, spend more time focused on asking them questions, getting to know them, let them have the mic, so to speak. Okay. And then as you get to know them, you can assess for yourself whether this is the kind of person that could offer value to me as a mentor. And then I would approach them and say, listen, I really enjoyed our conversation the other day. You know, to be honest with you, you're the kind of person I think I could learn from. Would you be interested in taking me under your wing and teaching me some of the things that you know? First of all, that feeds someone's ego. You told, Hey, look, you, you look like you'd be a great person for me to learn from. And they're thinking to themselves, you're damn right. I am. (laughs) But at the same time, at the same time, you also want to find a way to offer value to them. So you say to them, listen, if you were willing to take me under your wing and teach me some of the things that you know, what could I do to help you with some goals or some things that you have on your plate? How can I, serve, how can I be of service to you? So at least it's a reciprocal exchange of value. Mm-hmm. But it's even better if you find a way to be of service to them first. So I would say, listen, who else are you looking to get connected to? How can, you know, what's something I could do right now that would make a difference in your business or something that you have as a goal. Cause it doesn't always have to be business. Maybe they just want to know where they could score tickets to the, you know, the, the, the something that's coming into town that you might have connections with. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't underestimate the value of your own connections. Sometimes someone might just be looking for, I had a guy that was literally disenchanted with his, with his mechanic. And I happen to know a mobile mechanic that pulls up into your driveway at your office or your home and will fix your car on the spot. <laughs> you no, know? This guy's you know multimillionaire and he 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 needed a, he needed to know from me you know who I get my car fixed by yeah you know yeah so, so, you, so you can't underestimate the value of who you know and what you know. Someone always wants to know what you know or who you know. It's just a matter of letting them know what you know and who you know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Common yeah.
0: sense. Yeah. Not common practice. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's great. Um, so I also wanted to go uh, back to when you were talking about adversity. Uh, within business um, not many people see you know the trench work the behind the scenes what goes on and, and the really nitty-gritty the hard stuff what uh, was there uh, I'm, I'm sure there were about anyone that sticks out to you a pivotal point when you were starting your business you were going through where it was like all right I, I can either say I got this far and that's it because of x y and z roadblock or no, this is it. So let's, let's keep it going to where it's like that decisive moment or, or maybe the affirmation moment it's like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah. So, so there are always pivotal moments taking place. I got pivotal moments taking place <laughs> right now where I'm always questioning myself, is this the right direction to go in? Should I be doing this? Should I, should I you know, cash in my chips and go do something else? We, As entrepreneurs, we always go through that analysis, as long as it is a process of analysis and not a matter of allowing challenges to defeat us. As, a, as an entrepreneur, one of the most important things we can do is to be persistent, meaning not to give up at the first time, sign of resistant, resistance, and to be patient because things don't automatically happen overnight just because you've decided to move in a new direction, you know. So the short answer is I have had any number of, you know, pivotal moments in my business. And I've also used those moments to make course corrections, adjustments in the direction that I was going. You know, like I said, when I first got started with out of the practice of law, I created a digital information product, had magnificent success with it. Then it started another business that was mediocre in in, in results and was disappointing in a lot of ways. Um, But i used what I learned from that to evolve that business. It was called Shop in U.S. City. As I was looking, I created a a web portal to promote local businesses and it made sense, but it was not, it didn't, the outcome wasn't what I was expecting in terms of the result and the, and the impact. So I learned from that experience and then evolved it to, you know, shop in us cities 2.0, but we called it something else that didn't do it. So we evolved a, you know, village connector 3.0 and added some other things. And frankly, everything that we're doing today has been an evolution of what we started over 20, almost 20 years ago now, when I first got started with, you know, the, the, the digital information product. Mm-hmm. So, rather than give up, I gave more effort. I gave more thought. I was very cerebral about, t- you know, reflecting on what I learned from the experience. What's missing in this equation, rather than, up, oh, time to pack our tent and go home. Let me go call my father and see if he can help me get a job. You know what I'm saying? So so you you can't let disappointment define you. You have to be willing to learn from experience. There's a book out here by John Maxwell called Failing Forward. Mm -hmm. Failure is never final unless you allow it to cause you to cash in all your chips. You know, failure is the process by which we learn. And so it should be embraced. The only, only problem is the school system and everyone around us, it, 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 it penalizes you for failure. So if you're, if you're going to be penalized for failing, you're going to try less. You're not going to take risks. You're not going to go. I mean, you, you all went to college? Yes, sir. That's, I, I, my condolences to both of you. Um, <laughs> but because, you know, 80% of millionaires uh, don't have never been to college. <laughs> Just saying, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But here's the point. If you go and take a hard course, no matter how much you learn from that, unless you score a high grade in it, you're going to be penalized for that. I I mean, some of the, some of the courses I scored the lowest in, I actually learned the most from, but it wasn't reflected in my grade. But if I, if I'd shied away from taking the course, I wouldn't have learned. I would have had a better transcript, but I wouldn't have had a better learning experience. So I like to encourage people to take chances and to view them as experiments. You know, scientists live in the perfect world as far as I'm concerned because the whole purpose of conducting the experiment is to see what the outcome will be. They're not worried about the grade they're going to get at the end. They're like, let's try this and see what happens. I mean, that's what life should be about. Not like, oh, we better not do that. That's risky. What if that doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? What if? Why don't you focus on what would you learn by doing it? Mm. You see? So it's an attitudinal thing. This is where Jeff Olson's slight edge comes into play. I mean, you know, Jeff would be completely in harmony with this. You know, you take risks to learn. You take risks to try things, see, how, see what the outcome will be. So if we approach life that everything we do is an experiment, and our goal is to see what, if we do this, what will the outcome be? Let's go find out what it would be like to do this, go in this direction, try this business. You know, we don't know until we try. But if we don't try, we'll never know.
2: Well, I'm ready to run through this window out here, Tim. I don't know about you. <laughs>
0: now, here's the other thing. I love that. But we already know what the outcome of that can be because you <laughs> learned that from mentors. <laughs> so here's the other side of that. Not every lesson you learn has to be something that you experience firsthand. Yeah. If somebody's already run out a window, check with them and see how that came out for them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I should have used brick wall. Yeah. You got, me, so see, you got me jazzed up, Glenn. So there's, so there's four ways that we learn.
0: And 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 this and I'm being serious about this, but, but that was a good, that was cute you know, for us to, to have that little you know, discussion. <laughs> so we learned first formal knowledge, that's taking a course, you know, reading a book or whatever. And that's, that's great. That provides a foundational experience for us that allows us to engage in the next and most important form of knowledge, or the next most important form of knowledge, which is activity knowledge. It's one thing to read things in a book. It's another thing to go out and do them. Like you, you guys rode bicycles when you were younger? Mm-hmm. What what book did you read to learn how to ride a bicycle? Oh uh, yeah, I'll give you a second to think about Run it because that's what all it'll take. <laughs> you, know, you got on that bike and you got pushed down the street until you fell off enough times to figure out how to keep it going, right? Yep. That's what we call activity knowledge. There is no book to read on how to ride a bicycle. Okay. Then there's also modeling knowledge. That's the third way. That's mentorship, that's coaching. You learn from someone else's experience. So if someone described to you how to keep the bike going, how to get on the bike, put your foot on the pillows, hold on the handlebars, and how to get it going without you just seeing the bike and doing it on your own, you'd probably fall fewer times because someone was there to tell you what to do. That's, what, that's the value of coaching and mentorship, or more importantly, modeling yourself after someone else that's already done what you're seeking to do. And one of my favorite ways to learn is the last one, which is teaching knowledge. You'd be surprised how much you learn when you have to prepare yourself to teach something that you're doing. That's why when I had to stop and reflect on how I was bringing all this business in, I had to learn it well enough that I could teach someone else how to do it. That's the ultimate form of learning. Your math teacher knows math better than anyone on the planet because not only do they have to understand it, but they got to be able to explain it to somebody else. So if you engage in all four forms of those learning, those learning styles, you're in a much better position long term. You know, you go from just reading books about it to trying it to learning from other people that have done it and then being able to share that knowledge with others that's the that's the circle of life if it were if it if you, if you know if if you characterize it that way so I always look to learn something well enough that I can show and teach somebody else what I've learned and it's a very fulfilling way to live life if I get to the point where I'm good enough at something that I can benefit somebody else that is what experts on stage is all about. People have learned enough about a specific subject matter to share it with somebody else and create value in their lives, shorten their learning curve, steer them around the potholes and be able to help them accelerate the pace at which they can do well with what they just learned. It's a great way to live life. Yeah. And you all are doing that with the podcast because you're, you're sharing information that's being shared by people who have experience a certain subject matter. So even if you don't have expertise with something, by simply putting the right people with the right expertise in front of your audience, you're giving them the benefit of all of those different ways of learning.
1: Yeah. So congratulations
0: to you. You
2: guys are doing a great job with this. Thank you. really appreciate that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Cause that's why we do it. I mean, we, we want to give people free value and get, give them an opportunity to learn from people like yourself and anybody we bring onto this podcast. Uh, Another thing I was going to ask you is when you, when you first like really started studying like thought leadership and learning and when you're transitioning out is there any but any specific person or anything that resonated with you the most while you, while you were going out?
0: I think that my first formal introduction to conscious deliberate personal development came with getting involved in my first network marketing business which was Amway of course because you know back in the day, that was the granddaddy of them all, but the most important thing about being involved in the Amway business, and I'm not an advocate for Amway, I'm not a sales rep, I'm not involved, was because they were also promoting personal development. You used to buy books and tapes and listen to them, and they, you know, it basically became a a, a, a formal way to learn, And and frankly, that business model became more important for what I learned than what I earned because, frankly, I didn't earn very much. <laughs> but I did learn a lot. Yeah. I learned the value of reading. I learned the value of uh, personal development generally. I learned the value of business, even though that business model didn't necessarily attract me long-term uh, consistently. Um, I did learn the value of passive income, of being in business for myself, of having the ability to create what I wanted rather than settling for what the job offered, so to speak. So the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, those are the things I think, you know, you know, I got value out of in, in terms of my first introduction to, uh, to to personal development. I also got very early on in my career introduced to my, my, one of my favorite mentors, Jim Rohn. You may be familiar with the name. Um, Jim Rohn was an extraordinary individual in the personal development industry. He's probably credited with being like the ground, grandfather of uh, if you will of personal development, there were some people that preceded him, like Vic Conant and Earl Nightingale. They were actually part of they were part of his his era. You know, they kind of grew up together. But the point is that, you know, Earl Nightingale and Vic Conant, that was Nightingale Conant, which is a big personal development
1: company. Yeah, I listened to his uh, secret to success one, yeah. Nightingale. He has like a, it's on Spotify. It's like an eight. Yeah, 80- have you,
0: all right, so have you ever heard the one that he does, The Strangest Secret? Yeah, that's what it is. The Strangest, the Strangest, Strangest Secret. secret. Yeah, that's yeah. the
1: one, that's the one. So, yeah. so that's,
0: that's, 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 that goes all the way back to the, like the 40s or 50s. Yeah. We did it on a long playing record. I mean, when was the last time you bought a course on an LP? Right. You all right. probably don't even know what an LP is right
1: now. You're like, what is he talking about? But it's time. It's timeless fundamentals though. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's amazing that even something that's true back then, is true now, even exactly. with today's, everything that's going on around.
0: And here's the secret to the secret. That stuff that Errol Nightingale shared was timeless before he got it. And mm-hmm. timeless before the person he learned it from, because there are, you know, tried and true timeless principles that apply. That the only thing that changes is the time not the principle. That's why principle living is so important. The strangest secret for people that are watching this is that we become what we think about most. We become what we think about most. And so where we direct our energy, where we allow our thoughts to go, that all affects who we become. That's why people, places, and things, the people you hang out with, the places you go, and the things you choose to focus on define who you become. Now, the truth is that that's a biblical principle. You know where that came from? As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. You know where that came from? The Bible. <laughs> you know? You know where the Bible came from? Well, I'm not going to get into politics or religion. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that
2: could be a long discussion. <laughs> yeah. but, uh,
0: exactly. I mean,
2: I know, think so, I know where it came from,
0: but. <laughs> but, but here's my point. Here's my point. And that's another good discussion. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a believer, whether you're religious or not, the Bible has some of the most, personal, most important personal development lessons, whether you choose Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior or not but there's a lot of people won't pick up the Bible because they're not Christians, Mm. you know, and I'm not commenting on whether you should be a Christian or not a Christian. It it doesn't matter. The issue is if you are, if you're too selective about where you can learn and who you can learn from, you're limiting your ability to learn, you know? I mean, the reason that the strangest secret exists is because a lot of people wouldn't read the Bible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So
0: just food for thought but this is not a religious discussion I'm not advocating a particular religion uh, a I'm not book, I'm spiritual I'm not religious I always right. tell people when they ask me what's the difference of spirituality and religion I said religion is kind of the politics of spi- spirituality <laughs> you know it, you That's know right. everyone's got their flavor of what they believe and there's nothing wrong with that you, you know right. God forbid that you shouldn't I mean you should believe something right you know right. I don't care what you believe as long as you believe that you and I can have a friendship regardless of which what we believe
2: absolutely. Well, we have talked about that before, too, is no one can have a discussion anymore. That's right. There's no conversation about things anymore.
0: Everything's a debate. Everything's yeah. a rant. You know, we can't just sit down and have a cup of coffee together or a beer or whatever
2: mm-hmm. and just
0: have a conversation about ideas. That's why one of my favorite quotes comes from Eleanor Roosevelt. Great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. Hmm. And when you think about it, what is usually being discussed at happy hour? Gossip about who, what's going on in the office or who, yeah. who did this or that or that. events. What's yeah. going on in the media? You know, what did Donald Trump tweet today? You know,
1: sure.
0: is anybody making any progress in their lives, worrying about what somebody tweeted or what, you know, what what world event took place today? Unless you're planning on doing something about it, why do you allow that to occupy your mind?
2: I guarantee or you, Buffett. Those people. <laughs> what's that? Average people tweeting at all those people too, like – Exactly. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's
0: just just one big, it's just one big rant taking place. But here's where the, here's where the opportunity is created there. People like Warren Buffett, if they pay attention to somebody, somebody's tweeting or something, someone's tweeting, they're using that as a vehicle to create something, not to be, not to jump in on one side of the argument, so to speak, you know, great minds discuss ideas. And if you find yourself discussing anything other than ideas, I really have questions about whether you're trying to achieve greatness and greatness is not about you being great. It's about accomplishing more. It's about creating a greater impact for others. You know, one of the things that um, Jim Rohn, one of my favorite quotes from him is that if you want to achieve greatness, find a way to serve the many for service to many leads to greatness. He wasn't talking about you're great and you're like, you're, you're, he's talking about if you want to increase your ability to have an impact for others, find a way to serve people. You know, Zig Ziglar said, if you help enough people get what they want, you can have everything you want. You know, these people, these guys were very philosophical, very principled. They shared tidbits of wisdom that are ageless and we have them go over our heads because we're so focused on, is this going to put money in my pocket? If you want more money in your pocket, find a way to serve more people. Mm-hmm. Find a way to help people get what they want. Take the focus on you and put it on the people that would be supporting your efforts in your business if you were d- delivering value to them. You know. We don't learn that in school. We learn how to go work for somebody else, mm-hmm. you know. And usually most people, they get paid what their position is worth, not what they're worth. And typically, your paycheck reflects this the, the, reflects the size of the problems you're able to solve. That's why people working at McDonald's, flipping a hamburger isn't a big problem for McDonald's. They got machines that'll do that now, you know. So, all I'm saying to you is that You know, when we think about where we allow our focus, where we allow our thoughts, where we allow our attention to go, that usually is a clue to what's going on in our lives. Mm. If you want better results in your life, focus on on higher level things like ideas. Makes sense. The news media will still be there. What's going on in the world will still be there. People will still be gossiping at happy hour after you read the book.
2: (laughs) That's good. That makes total sense though, of like you become your thoughts, you know, same yeah. thing as the people you surround yourself with. You talk about the people you're around and, and it's just, it's, it's very easy to pick up a little bit of everything before it's like, oh wow, I'm that now.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I love what we're doing here. We're at Abundant Society and Experts on Stage because we're helping people to understand these principles and to see how to take control of their lives. You know, one of the things, another, I'm going to go back to a Jim Rohn principle this is probably one of the most powerful thoughts he's ever shared with me, which is that life is like being in a sailboat and the same wind blows on us all. The wind of opportunity, the wind of disappointment, you know, the same wind blows on everybody, but the only. I know. Some people set their sails to take advantage of the direction the wind is going, and some people never set their sails at all, so they just get blown in whatever direction life takes them.
2: Sure.
0: So if you want to be more successful in, in, in crafting the life you, you, you deserve, you need to learn sailing. You need to learn how to sail your ship
2: mm-hmm.
0: because otherwise you're putting your destiny in someone else's uh, control.
2: That's uh, we've talked about that. That's something we just, we couldn't do anymore in our prior jobs. So it was like, this is not it. Like, it's yeah, not like, yeah, this is not the next 40, 50 years.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I So like, in order to learn how to sail, you have to read books. You have to have mentors. I mean, think about it. How many people learn how to sail by just jumping in a sailboat? They usually take lessons. Sure. Coaching and mentorship. They at least watch videos today to learn how somebody's doing something. So we have to be prepared to constantly educate ourselves. And that's really Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, anybody that's in per- Charlie Tremendous Jones, any of these personal development gurus that have come up over the years is encouraging us to make learning a lifestyle, not something we did one time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you know, you can't take a shower and expect it to last forever. We do that on a daily basis. The same is true of learning.
2: That's cold. I like that a lot. It's yeah. awesome.
0: And none of this is original material for me. So don't give me credit for it. I consider myself to be a good student, but not necessarily an expert on
2: these things. Hey, close enough, you're teaching us and it sounds pretty good. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it, it sounds good, but it works out even better when you do something with it.
2: So <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: your viewers, hopefully your listeners will, will benefit from some of these things we've talked about today. Hopefully you all will benefit from them.
2: Already, yeah, have, I certainly, sure. I
0: certainly appreciate the fact that you've given me the opportunity to to share these little perspectives. I'll say from from my own, you know, my own uh, experience.
1: Absolutely, right. and at the end of the day, like all that information, it's out there. Like everything's out there for everybody to go get. But it's just the people who have used it as a tool to help the world around them and convey that information to other people that I feel like are the ones that are truly successful.
0: Well, that's another. That's a whole nother show, man. Let me tell you why. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's with all this information that's out here on YouTube and everywhere else you can go, it's amazing what people choose to put give their attention to versus what they could have given their attention to. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have watched Earl Nightingale and understood the strangest secret, which probably would have kept them away from other things that they allowed to occupy their time and their 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 attention. But we we sometimes get off track. Anybody can get off track. I get off the track off track all the time. Fortunately, I have been more successful at bringing myself back to focus, bringing myself back to center. When I've learned, when I've gotten off tracks, I've learned, hey, I'm not getting the results I want. Something's not right. Let me stop and reflect. Let me see what's going on here. You know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, if they know anything about rockets and and, and about, you know, NASA and about, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a, a, a spaceship or a rocket is off target of the time it's in the air. And if it weren't for the fact that the computers are making constant adjustments to keep it on target, it would never reach its destination. So we are like rockets being launched, but it's up to us to keep things on track by constantly making those adjustments, being aware of where we are. Are we on track? If not, what do we need to get back on track? The Mm -hmm. computer is our brain, our mind, our our attitude, our mindset. And we've got to be willing to, Nurture and to adjust and to uh, to improve that mindset, so that we get to the destination, whatever it is that we set for ourselves. See, most people don't have a destination. They don't have goals. They don't have a plan. So it's no que- it's, it's it's no wonder that they're not achieving what they want to achieve. They haven't decided what they want. Yeah. How can your life be about X and you haven't even decided what X is? You know. That's why in algebra, you ever said, let X represent something, but for most people, they've never decided what X represents. Yeah. <laughs> and I failed algebra, by the way, but I did learn that
1: much. That funny.
0: was an awful experiment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim, you
2: got anything else, man?
1: No, I, th- I think uh, we've covered a lot of good stuff. Like you said, we yeah. we could have spoken for hours, but I'm glad that we talked about what we did this past hour because I know a lot of people are going to find value from this and you, you, you dropped a lot of good knowledge bombs. So, well,
0: if so. nothing else, we had a good time, right? I had a great time. I, I get to know That's you guys. Now, I didn't get to know you as well as I will over time. So let's make sure we stay together, stay connected.
2: Please. We'll do. And
0: I would love to have you all be on my radio show. We'll talk more about what that would be. I have a radio show called uh, Get Ready to Profit with Small Business CEO. Mm-hmm. Also on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and all those places. Yeah. But the bottom line is that I want to flip the script and have you all be on my show. We'll 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 find out from the millennial perspective what you all
2: have to share. Okay. Yeah, that'd oh, be awesome. We would love that. That'd be such a good time. That would be the first time that
1: us as a pair, as a show, have been on I've someone been, else. So that yeah. would be awesome. That'd be very
2: helpful. Yeah, awesome. We will definitely
0: do that then, and uh, I will certainly let's, let's 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 talk about when we can get that done. So I would love to be able to do that. Hundred percent. Awesome. All right, gentlemen, is there anything else I can do today?
2: Uh, Glenn, where can people find you?
0: Um, right here. <laughs> 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 I never leave this office. Um, so, so the best place to connect with me, and, and, and this is a way for me to connect with you in a way that offers value. I have a website called tipsonsuccess.com, www.tipsonsuccess.com. On that website, there's two portals. One is for people that are interested in general personal development, and one is for people that are interested in business and entrepreneurship. And you can be interested in both. The reason I mention that is that if you go there and you click the link for either one or the other or both, you have the ability to get on a mailing list that taps you into a lot of the resources I talked about. For example, the entrepreneurial resources. I give my book, Let's Not Be Partners, the audio version and the and the PDF download, I give that away for free today, where it used to cost 30 bucks for people to buy that from me. I give that away for free as an incentive for people to get tapped into our entrepreneur community, partners and profit, where I have the ability to help them and mentor them and give them free information that allows them to start exploring the world of entrepreneurship. We have um, in the general personal development portal for Abundant Society, we have the Life Plan Blueprint where I offer a three-step process I learned from Napoleon Hill on how to form a life plan or how to create a plan on how you're going to do anything. It's so simple. It's three steps, ABC, one, two, three. If you can't figure that out, then you should just, you know, let somebody else run your life, you know, get a job. <laughs> but my point is, and I'm not bad mouthing employment because you can do a lot through an employment position if you, if you're purposeful about it. But here's the point. If you go to tipsonsuccess.com, you've got access to a plethora of free resources that put you in a better position to start embracing your superpower, just determining what it is that you can do to take control of your future and start dictating your results instead of being subject to them. Mm-hmm. That's great. the best place to get connected.
2: All right, well, and then we'll on social
0: it. media, I'm everywhere. Glenn you know, Glen Garns on LinkedIn, Glenn Garns on Facebook, Glenn Garns on on uh, Instagram, Glenn Garns on, um, uh, on 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 Twitter.
2: Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll be sure to link all that in our our show notes as well. Sounds good. All right, Glenn. Thank you so much again. We really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Keep up the great work you're doing and thank you for making a difference in the world.
2: We'll do. Likewise.
1: Thank you to you as well. Take care now. See you. Bye.